From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. The NCAA has been really reluctant to, 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 to move on this. And I think they, if it was up to them, it would be federal legislation, right? And I think we'd have uniform across all all states. Um, and uh, But right now it's left up to each state. And in some cases, like I said, there's no state legislation in the university. And, you know, you can get, I, I think, some real edges here, um, you know, in terms of thinking about recruiting and bringing people to, to if, if you have less restrictive um, you know, monetization opportunities. Welcome back to season seven of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Big changes have come to college sports as state laws and NCAA rule changes offer some new protections and financial opportunities for players. Greg Levy, Miami Law's Director of the Entertainment, Arts, and Sports Law Postgraduate Program and Executive Producer of the podcast, The Leadership Game Plan, with former Chicago Bears head coach Mark Tressman, keeps score. Let's go to Executive Producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Greg. Nice to have you back. Thanks so much, Catherine. Thanks for having me. So before we start... I need to know what brand of kicks you're wearing today. For our listeners, Greg started a one-of-a-kind sneaker law course at Miami Law. So today I got on a classic Air Max 90s, the yellow, gray, and black color wave. I am a big fan of the Air Max 90s, so got them in a bunch of different colors, but I feel like this is like one of the most classic ones. I love it. So tell us, what is nil? So name, image, and likeness as a technical matter stands for, is, is name, image, like this is an intellectual property, right? Um, it's an individual's ability to, to monetize and protect um, their own image, their own likeness and use in commercial purposes. Neil has taken on a kind of a new meeting in the college athletic world as for the first time ever, college athletes have now been able to monetize their name, image, and likeness, whether that's through sponsorship deals, whether that's through marketing, endorsement, other things of that nature. What, what is the change here? Sure. So for you know, a long time, college athletes have never been able to monetize their name, image, and likeness, or for that matter, make any money connected to their to their sport or, or really their time in college. Um, long time coming. You know, there was a, a big push for college athletes. There's one group of of individuals who wanted kind of more of the pay for play model. You should be able to get paid like you are in um, in the professionals. Um, but then this NIL kind of came out to say, hey, you know. College athletes, if they're not getting paid on the playing field, um, can they get paid, um, you know, by doing endorsement deals, by engaging in other commercial opportunities for their time while they're in college? The universities, lots of other different people in the ecosystem are making money, but not the college athletes. So really the what what really i think pushed this over the top is two things one we had the O'Bannon versus the NCAA case which really started this conversation where O'Bannon silhouette of him was 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 depicted in EA Sports video games and he clearly wasn't getting compensated for that many many years after he had left UCLA but uh, but then we saw states starting to put legislation in place. First was the California uh, legislation, which was going to allow college athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And you had people like LeBron James who really got behind that movement. That wasn't supposed to go into effect till 2024 with the idea that there was going to be some lead time to actually kind of figure this all out. Florida 
um, actually then put in in 2020, put in state le- passed state legislation that was going to go into effect uh, July 1 of 2021. And that really kind of accelerated this all and pushed this, I think, a, a kind of a, a, a lot quicker. Um, so what really ended up happening was because July 1st was was around the corner, the NCAA was grappling with, with how to handle this. Now, at the same time, there were some... Uh, uh, litigation going through the court system, actually at the Supreme Court, the Alston case, right? Alston um, uh, you know, case, which which was really looking at whether the NCAA was restraining uh, student-athletes' ability to, to get non-cash education-related benefits, things like a computer or other things related to their education, whether they can cap or, or kind of restrain the amounts that the colleges could provide. Um, that case, I believe the decision came down on, on uh, June 21st. We still had no guidance nine and 10 days away from um, what the NCAA was going to do with this name, image, and likeness when the state of Florida student athletes were going to be able to start monetizing. So although that case was not directly related to name, image, and likeness, it certainly set a tone that the NCAA, you know, needed to be very careful with what they kind of, how they, uh, you know, restrained student athletes' abilities. Um, and in this case, to monetize. And, you know, really at the 11th hour, the NCAA just threw up their hands. Um, they, on, uh, you know, J- June 30th, put out this interim policy, um, which basically said, look, if you have state legislation in your state, follow the state. We're not, follow the state legislation. We're not going to get involved. We're going to allow student athletes to monetize. Um, if you don't, it's up to each college, right? And and that's kind of the the system that we we have in in place right now. So are we seeing endorsement deals like we would see with you know Serena Williams or somebody? Like what kind of deals have gone into have happened since these changes went into effect in July? Well, I think what happened, you know, so there was a big lead up to July 1st and everybody was, I think, really engaged and excited um, that this was going to be the first time that college athletes. I mean, this is this is probably going to be the most significant or, or up to date is the most significant kind of real you know, change that we've seen in our lifetimes, I think, um, of, of, of in college a- athletics. But um, I, in that lead up. Everybody wanted to be the first, the first student athlete, the first this player, the first brand to sign a student athlete or the first this type of brand. So there was a lot of activity right out of the gate. You didn't see as many national deals. There were a couple. They were, I I think, much somewhat more regionalized and localized, which I think is how this is going to kind of play out. Um, But, you know, you saw everything from, um, you know, at. You, you saw everything from athletes signing, you know, a very traditional endorsement sponsorship deal, like you said, with like Dr. Pepper, right? We had one student athlete and, and um, you know, he'll endorse them on social media and maybe be in other advertisements for them. You saw um, you know, Boost Mobile, I believe, signed one of the uh, had a big deal on day one. Um, and and you had then you had other things that were maybe I'd say less traditional. You had uh, local businesses and where they had colleges and teams that something here that happened in Miami where all university of Miami scholarship football players um, were offered $500 per month to promote American top team. Um, It's a mixed martial arts training Academy, right? So every player on the team had an opportunity to take that deal. So if every player took it, you're talking about, you know, 
half a million dollars, right? But that was the opportunity for every student athlete on the football team to earn, um, you know, it's basically $6,000 a year. Um, now, I don't know how many took it or, or, if they, or if they did, but that, you know, was certainly another type of offer, whereas like you, 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 you provide an offer for everybody on the team. Um, we saw alcohol sponsorships. You had uh, Cozy Perry, who used to play at UM and transferred to FAU quarterback, um, was the first to you know, work with an alcohol brand. His deal was with Isle Murata. And there was a lot of chatter about, well, how is this, how is this, this able, you know, how is this able to happen? And, you know, um, the Florida state legislation, you know, really defers to each school on an alcohol policy if you're going to be able to work with alcohol brands. And the school policy said if you're over 21, and in his case, he's 23, you can do it. Now, if you went to Texas and Mississippi, those state legislations wouldn't allow um, that type of deal to happen. Um, we also saw, and this was an interesting part because, you know, there's opportunities for universities here too, right? So um, a, a lot of players wanted to go out and make their own merchandise. There was a company that's been formed through this called the Players Trunk that when players graduate, they can give their 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 game use merchandise to sell. But then the Players Trunk also got into, you know, just T-shirts and hats and sweatshirts and working with uh, individual athletes on branded merchandise for their time when they were in college. Well, Typically, you wouldn't be allowed to use the university marks, right? But, you know, universities could license as they could to any, uh, uh, you, know, you know, merchandise, uh, any, on any piece of merchandise, they could go and license their marks. So um, Buddy Beheim from Syracuse was one of the, I think, the first player um, to, uh, to engage in a deal with the university. So he licensed the Syracuse marks. And uh, created merchandise with the player's trunk that included the Syracuse logo. Then you saw a lot of car dealership deals. I'm actually surprised you didn't see more of these like local in local towns where players would get to use a car for the season and in in exchange promote the car dealership on social media or maybe make an appearance or two at the dealership. Yeah, because there's no cars, Greg. Like there's no new cars. (laughs) That's coming though. That's true. (laughs) So we talked a little about the immediate changes. I have one question though, when you were talking about merchandise. So let's say a school selling merchant branded merchandise with the player stuff. So is a player now getting a, a piece of that? So is that one of the more immediate changes? And, and what do you see as like where this is going? What is a, the more far reaching impact? Sure. So on the merchandise, I mean, the question, I think you're probably relating more to like jersey sales and things like that with players' names on the back of them. So historically, that would have never happened. And, you know, for for many years, um, teams would sell like uh, for Tim Tebow for Florida, you go into the Florida bookstore and you can buy the number 15. It may not say Tebow on the back of it, but everybody knew it was a Tebow jersey. It went so far as if you were searching online, you typed in Tim Tebow jersey the number 15 Florida Jersey would come up through the search algorithm, but they weren't, you know, nothing about it said Tim Tebow or nothing in the actual item description said that. But um, now what we're seeing is that more um, colleges, I mean, through this, they're creating opportunities for student athletes to again, opt into this kind of more group licensing um, deal where they can individually opt to have their Jersey sold and they will get a portion of the proceeds. Um, University of Michigan was the first to do it with a local retailer called MDEN in Ann Arbor. And I think we're definitely seeing more. uh, We will see a lot more of those type of deals. Um, Now, I think that, you know, I think that 
the group licensing to me is, is going to be a really interesting part of that. So that's kind of where everybody kind of collectively opts into a system and is able to, um, they're able to, 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 to sell the rights as a, as a group. And I know that some colleges have done this individually. I think UNC was the first one to allow student athletes to kind of as a collective. But I think the big one's going to be a lot of people want the uh, NCAA video games back, right? And I think that would take a group licensing deal. So I think that that's something we'll see in the future. Cool. Um, so there seem to be some gray areas where you talked about like, okay, not just the state, but the school itself. And so there's a lot of wiggle room left on the guidelines. So who's going to sort all this going forward? Is the NCAA is, you know, federal, state, local, like how does it all, all, all like, who's governing this? Who's in yeah, the I mean, driving I think ship? I think you're right. There's a lot of gray areas. I mean, um, you know, currently in the in the interim NIL policy, you know, agents advisors are allowed. I know that's kind of a big question mark. Some people are concerned about that. Um, you know, kind of compliance issues. I mean, something that the NCAA interim policy did state right is this can't be pay for play. This can't be enhancement. Uh, you know, re- recruitment inducements. Um, so where is that kind of line, right? I mean, we've already seen colleges and universities starting to use their brand and leverage it and promote these deals that their student athletes are getting, right? Um, so I think, um, I think you know, the NCAA has been really reluctant to, 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 to move on this. And I think they, if, if it was up to them, it would be federal legislation, right? And I think we'd have uniform across all, all states. Um, and uh, But right now, it's left up to each state. And in some cases, like I said, there's no state legislation in the university. And, you know, you can get, I, I think, some real edges here. Um, you know, in terms of thinking about recruiting and bringing people to, to if, if you have less restrictive, um, you know, monetization opportunities. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see whether the, you know, whether whether they move on this and uh, from a federal level. But I, I think that that would be the, the ideal place for this to be resolved. So we mentioned at the top that you have uh, you're the executive producer of the, the leadership game plan with Mark Tressman, former NFL coach. Um, but. Aren't you also working with the athletic department to develop some educational training programs? Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and we haven't talked about it as much today, um, that with, with NIL is that education is going to be so important, right? This is all so new to everyone. And for the first time, uh, student athletes, right, are able to make money. Well, making money, you know, there's contracts involved, right? You know, you have to form a separate entity. What are your intellectual property rights? What rights are you giving away? What rights should you be retaining? licensing opportunities. What does that even look like? What does that mean? There are tax implications of this, right? You're making, you know, income now and, and, and how are you, um, you know, how are you making sure and, and managing the kind of the, the, the tax side of it? So we, through our entertainment arts and sports law program, which um, we have an amazing, uh, you know, amazing team that, that leads that effort. Um, and on the sports side, uh, you know, Peter Carfagna, uh, co-director of the sports track with Trish White. Um, for those of you who don't know, Peter was the chief legal officer at IMG before that was Jones Day Partners, is incredibly involved in our running of our of our program, particularly in the sports track and teaching in the program. You know, we're putting together a uh, right now a, a pilot kind of workshop um, with athletics in order to, in a very practical sense, help uh, student athletes who are going through this understand um, you know, the protection and monetization of their brand. So we'll have a series of, 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 of workshops, which will hopefully uh, eventually turn into a, a class 
um, that will not only teach them, but allow them to actually do each of these things. Um, we're going to integrate uh, law students in our entertainment arts and sports law program as kind of uh, uh, TAs and um, um, other tech volunteers in, the, in this workshop and really get a chance for um, the student athletes to learn through doing. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. See you around. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Postgraduate Degree Programs. Amp your skills with degrees offered in seven concentrations, including estate planning, international arbitration, and tax law, with an intensive legal English option for foreign-trained lawyers. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash academics forward slash LLM. Thank you.